Hello, and welcome to FinTech Impact. Before we get started, just a reminder to sign up for my newsletter at jasonperera.ca. We get a notification of all my blog posts, podcasts, and all their content that I put out there. On to today's show. Today on the show, I have Rob Koifman, founder and CEO of Koifin. Koifin is an online financial data terminal that aggregates data from all sorts of data sources, from indexes to funds to whatever other statistic or metric matters into one incredibly easy to use and user-friendly interface. And with that, here's my interview with Rob. Hello, Rob. Hey, Jason. Thanks for taking the time today. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, what else are we going to do? We're all stuck indoors these days, right? That's right. So uh, Rob Koifman, uh, creator and founder of Koifin. Tell us about Koifin. So Koifin is a financial data and analytics platform, and it allows investors to research stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, and understand uh, broader macro trends in the marketplace. Excellent. So um, you summed it up very quickly there. I will say that it is very impressive, and I was very happy to get you on this. So I'm a big fan of what you've done already, and look forward to where it's going. But before we get there, talk to me about the history of Koifin. Where did the idea come from, and how did it come to be? Yeah, so the history is that I started on Wall Street in 2002. I started at Goldman Sachs Investment Research, uh, covering real estate investment trusts. And um, my boss at the time, David Costin, got promoted to head portfolio strategy, which uh, was being headed by Abby Joseph Cohen, who was kind of the longtime strategist at uh, at Mm -hmm. Goldman Sachs. And so it took me from single stocks to this more broader portfolio strategy role and had me involved in a lot more data and analytics than than just covering single stocks. And then afterwards, I I had a number of different roles on Wall Street, on the buy side and sell side, but basically worked at a macro fund called Caxton, worked on the city options and ETF desk, and worked at uh, two hedge funds after that. So that gave me a pretty good broad overview in terms of how uh, Wall Street different pockets of Wall Street make money. In 2016, I uh, left the hedge fund and wasn't doing that well and started basically trading on my own, investing on my own. And it was the first time in my career where I had to pay for my own resources. And so even though I uh, had some money to spend in terms of paying for analytics, I didn't want to pay for a Bloomberg. And I was trying to find other things out there. I was going to say your first reaction was Bloomberg costs what? (laughs) Well, Well, not only does it cost that, but that's the base price without any sort of bells and whistles. So 25K. And then yeah. you have to sign a two-year term. <laughs> so kind of like for someone just kind of exploring what they want to do, that's a pretty big commitment. And so I started uh, using some of the other tools out there, like the online brokers and some of the more accessible tools, and was basically like, what the hell is going on here? And everything that I was using basically had a combination of either it was too expensive or didn't really do the job that I was trying to do, which is combine a lot of uh, data in one place and then offer the analytics to analyze that data. So a lot of the the platforms out there, the value add was providing the data, but then you have to put the data into Excel and really build all the stuff in Excel. So really the idea and the value proposition for Coifin lies along three dimensions. Um, Number one is we offer professional grade data, not only covering stocks, which is definitely something we focus on, but also ETFs, mutual funds, currencies, economics, And so we give investors that broad uh, look in terms of the world instead of just one particular asset class. The second thing is we provide the analytics, uh, the dashboarding tools, the charting tools to really turn data into information. And so that's really important because we don't want you to do stuff in Excel. We want you to do it right on our platform. And the third thing is really being obsessed with an amazing user interface. And that is a huge differentiator for us and something we hear all the time from our users in terms of like, wow, you guys really thought about making the system intuitive and it doesn't look like it's it's built in the 1980s, which is the timeframe when, when a lot of these systems were built. 
I feel like that was my feedback when I when we talked the first time. So and I too, you know, I, I had a very similar experience in terms of leaving a place where I had access to, you know, top level information. So yeah, there was a Bloomberg terminal on the floor and there was, you know, even when I was in university, there was access to Bloomberg terminals and Thomson Reuters. And then you go out in the real world and you're like, you want me to spend what? Uh, to get quotes, you've got to be kidding me. And then you're like, well, I can get free real-time quotes from Google. Like, why is the polar spectrum of this either a super expensive console that will probably do everything I could ever want it to do, or the free version where I get the same data, but I can't do anything with it, or it's all over the place, right? So there was definitely a big gap in the market there. And, um, you know, let's just actually cut forward to one of the first things we can tell people. What is the current price to actually try out your platform? Yeah, so Coifin is currently free. It's totally free. We don't have any advertising on our system. As you can imagine, that's not a sustainable business model. No. So in, in the future, the plan is to have a free version and the free version will be better than anything free out there. Think about kind of like Yahoo Finance or Google Finance or whatever it is. And then the premium versions are going to offer more advanced data, more advanced functionality. So if you want to be a power user, there'll be more premium tiers for you to get that data and functionality. And really what we wanted to do is innovate on the pricing model that currently happens on Wall Street. And the pricing model that happens on Wall Street is kind of this enterprise sales where you have a, a $10,000 license or $20,000 license and you sort of have to commit. And really in the new world, in the startup world, in the new tech world, everything is done on a bottom-up basis or kind of the most innovative companies are, are selling on a bottom-up basis with a free version. And then if you're a power user, getting you to that paid version. So if you think about what Zoom does, Zoom gives away its product for free. Yep. A lot of people use the free version, but then they have $500, $1,000, $2,000 month plans where you're paying for webinars and you're paying for other things which are more enterprise use cases. And so that's our plan as well. So like any good relationship, you want to give more than you take, at least at first. Uh, and then, uh, so, so we definitely want to give a lot more than we take in the beginning and get uh, people comfortable with our user interface, with our data. And then obviously we do need to make money at some point. So we'll have paid plans, but the paid plans will be much more affordable than, than some of the other competitors out there. Are you free to talk about what that intro level you're looking at is, or you want to keep that to the quote chest and I'll fault you for it? <laughs> yeah, no, uh, ha happy to talk about that. So um, initially, the initial plans are going to be, uh, we're going to have two plans. One is going to be sort of your your standard plan. It's going to be around 40 to $50 a month, and we'll give a discount for annual plans. And then the more advanced plan with kind of uh, some of the more premium data that we have to pay more money for, like mutual fund data and, and real time, that is going to be around $100 a month, and we're going to give a discount on that as well. Yeah, which is, so first off, let's just say this much. You built an enterprise level very well thought out UI around tons of data. I mean, the amount of stuff you're able to splash on one screen without overwhelming someone and giving them a really good sense is it's really well thought out. And I was staggered by the fact that this thing was free. The And then even the price point you've selected is is still incredibly affordable compared to a lot of the alternatives. And I'm going to kind of, when I we talked the first time, I said, you're almost like a poster child for the innovator's dilemma, right? You know, you have the Bloombergs of the world who came out and you know, what they did was revolutionary for the time. They put all of this information that was necessary that people needed from all kinds of places into one terminal and charged a fortune for it because the pain was so great. And then since then, you've had other players come in the market and they compete based on that reference point. And maybe they're more affordable. Maybe they do as much, maybe they do less. But the Bloomberg price is not coming down anytime soon. Their price is still priced for enterprise. And you come along and say, no, no, I'm going consumer. I'm going affordable. And I'm going to do this on mass, and you're really going to make up that margin based on volume down the road. 
And as you basically start to bring in money and you're going to be able to reinvest that back into more functionality, my hope is that those guys start to worry about you because, uh, because yeah. that's exactly how, how the innovator's dilemma comes about. It, you know, it's a market they didn't care about. You're going to take that over and you're going to iterate and iterate and iterate to hopefully knock them off their perch at some point. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot of truth in what you said. Um, in the next three to five years, I don't think Bloomberg should be scared about any of its, of its oh, no. business. <laughs> they very much have a, a very particular pain point that they're solving and they solve it very well, but for very, very well. people. Yeah. And one of the things that we want to do is offer a prosumer type of product. Prosumer meaning it's available to the consumer, it's available to the enterprise. Because at the end of the day, consumers and professionals analyze stocks or analyze the market in very similar ways. There are definitely workflows that enterprises and financial advisors and RIAs need to do that consumers wouldn't need to do. So, for example, model portfolios or create a deck for their clients. And that's going to be something that we offer as a, as a separate package or something that we offer uh, geared towards RIAs and, and FAs. But at the end of the day, if you want to know which sectors are leading, which uh, factors are leading, which stocks are leading, how's my portfolio performing, I want to create a portfolio, what's the valuation, all these things, there's a common de- denominator between consumers and professionals. And the differences are, are fewer rather than overwhelm the, the two groups. Yeah. So... Let's talk about the product itself. Okay, so we've talked about the price. We've talked about the goal. Explain to the layperson. The only way you really could appreciate this is by looking at this, and that's at koyfin.com. I highly encourage everybody to check this out because it's become my go-to for market information. Basically, tell me about the general layout and design decisions that you made surrounding this. Yeah, so one of the things that I thought about is kind of what does innovation mean for, for design in this field? And we actually we actually innovated a bunch of things, but we actually took some things that we thought were done very well by the legacy players. So an example of the innovation that we did is we made a product totally web-based. So we said anything today should be on the web. You don't need to download anything. You, you sort of go to our website, you log in, you create an account, and you start using it for, for and lay down for paid. So there is nothing to download. Another thing that we did was really take the latest graphing and data visualization technology and use that to create all our dashboards and all our graphing so that everything feels live, everything feels like it's a application, but it's on the web. The thing that we re- that we kept the same that we thought about a lot is I really like how in a Bloomberg, it's a single page application. So if you think about kind of like Bloomberg started in 1983, I think they did a lot of cool stuff that is actually being now copied by startups and being kind of like it's kind of new thing. So if you think about social networks, Bloomberg was the first social network. They created that social network of Very true. And so they didn't call it a social network, but that's exactly what it is. And, and people pay for that. Graphing and data visualization, I think Bloomberg does very well. And that's something we wanted to focus on in terms of, hey, let's, let's really make our product excel at, at data visualization and graphing. And then the third thing, which is really interesting, is Bloomberg has this command line functionality where you could type commands of what you want. So if I want to look at the graph or something or the snapshot, you'd have to type the command. Now, Bloomberg did that because when it was created, everything was done in DOS and everything was command. There was no... There was was no point and click back then. I still remember those painful folder terminals. (laughs) There there was no point and click, right? So like if you give a novice user a Bloomberg, they'd be like, I don't get it. It's a blank screen. What do I do? Where's the mouse? Where's the mouse? (laughs) They have some clicking now, but 95% of the use cases on Bloomberg are typing stuff. What happens when you do that is it's a very steep learning curve to get up to that curve. But once you master it, it actually goes really fast. And you could type stuff much faster than you can point and click. And so you have companies like Superhuman, right? This, this new email provider, yeah. where their, their entire innovation is, hey, 
let's just use the keyboard. We're not going to use the mouse anymore. And everyone's like, wow, that's a brilliant idea. Why hasn't anyone thought of that? And Bloomberg has been doing that for 40 years. So we basically said we want to kind of combine and have a hybrid model where if you want to use the mouse, you could use the mouse. But we have this really awesome functionality where you can type shortcuts. And if you learn the shortcuts, you could really get through the system really quickly. So we try to marry the two. So that's sort of how we thought about the innovation in terms of user design and sort of keeping some of the other things that have been done very well. Now you made me realize that I should be using the shortcuts the entire time. <laughs> I just tried and yes, it's a lot faster. So it's interesting. It's uh, there's definitely kind of two schools of thought to UX and it's one is, one is, Hey, like, let's just make this as novel as possible so that people are, it's what they're used to versus no, no, no. If we train them, it is far more effective. Right. And it's like every program that uses keyboard shortcuts. If you're going to spend a lot of time in Excel, learn the shortcuts. If you're going to spend a lot of time in Adobe, learn the shortcuts because it takes so much longer to click on menus and find stuff than it does just hit two buttons, right? And when you do, it's just, it's a, it's like rocket fuel to your productivity to some degree. So yeah, so you basically kept a lot of what was good in, in those places. Uh, let's talk about how you've kind of, you've taken a ton of data, here, like just an absolute ton of data, and you found an effective way to basically put that in front of people. And you've broken these down into a couple of categories like markets, equities, fixed income and macro and subcategories. How much trial and error and experimentation was in trying to find the kind of right blend of data and display? Because this is this this reeks to me of, oh my God, I think you probably maybe tested this to death. Yeah, it's an interesting question. And what we want to do is the, even though we have a lot of data on our, on our platform now, we actually want to add more and more data to our platform. So the key about adding more and more data to your platform is you don't want it to overwhelm the user and you don't want it to kind of convolute the actual information that the user is trying to find. So the way we think about our platform is we've built the analytics layer, and then we're going to be hooking up more and more data pipes into that analytics layer. So whether it's credit data, or whether it's options data, or whether it's international data, or whether it's macro data or FX swaps or interest rate swaps, whatever it is, at the end of the day, all that data is analyzed via dashboards and via charts and via graphs. And as long as you make it easy for users to find that data and to browse that data, there is really no limit on how much data that you can you can introduce to the system. You know, in terms of like why now? Why does Coifin exist now and it couldn't exist 10 years ago or 20 years ago? We're Is really it AWS. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's definitely AWS. And so it's AWS, and because all these other companies have uh, been trailblazers and taking this data and making it usable and analyzing it and, and creating frameworks for analyzing it, we've been able to piggyback off of that instead of creating our own servers and figuring out how do the servers talk to each other in databases and stuff like that. So it doesn't mean that it, that it all goes smoothly and you could do it with a snap of the finger, but that's um, something that we've really benefited from, from, even though we have so much data in our system and it's on the web, it, it really feels live and there is no delay and there's not a lot of waiting to retrieve data. Um, and uh, it's, it's very true. And it's, it's, it's interesting. It's um, the AWS effect comes into play so often. And, you know, just the, I'm, I'm sure you're seeing it too, like the speed at which so many of these companies I speak to are developing at, it's just staggering. I've, I've literally, you know, sent off requests for a performance change on a Thursday and it comes out on a Tuesday and I'm just left going, what just happened? Like, you know, they used to say, well, that will put that on a roadmap for six months out. And you're like, wow, that got done in days. That's nuts. So um, yeah, so it's, that's, that just bodes well for, for people like you who built great dynamic systems that you can just continue to iterate on top of and keep, continue to, to hammer more in there. And it's interesting too, like you, like you made the good point about the amount of data you have and not overwhelming people because you don't want to build so much functionality in it that you just 
start coding for no good reason, right? If you, what's the statistic? It was like 10 years ago, the average user of Excel used something like 10% of the functionality. And if I was to bet where it is now, there's no way it's gone up, it's gone down, right? So most people tend to use software on a very superficial level. I would say that you also did a number of very smart things in UI design and building a lot of visual cues into this. Like it's very easy to know what's clickable, what's not. Very easy to know where the drop boxes are very easy to know even if you look at a you look at a chart and you're like thinking okay it's a static chart but there's a bunch of functions on the bottom that okay this is something I can play with a little camera icon for taking snapshots expanding graphs you know a lot of i would say almost consumer level ui ux went into what feels and at first glance and looks like at first glance as a, a an enterprise level product yeah so th- thank you for saying that so you definitely have a an eye and experience sort of looking at products. And I think we benefit from the fact that there's so many great products out there right now. And internally as a team, we sort of say, hey, who do we want to copy or who's doing a great job and, and sort of go out there. And I'm, I'm not going to mention any names to protect our secrets, but- Great you know, art of steel. <laughs> exactly. So there's a lot of inspiring products out there that we copy or, or that we took our inspiration from in designing the stuff. And, and the consumerization of enterprise is just what people expect. There's no one sitting in an enterprise who's not a consumer consumer in there at night and on weekends. So if you're using a Bloomberg in your day job, you're still using Airbnb on the weekends and you still expect some sort of level of intuitive user interface and friendliness. So we've really taken the time to do that. And the other thing I mentioned on your point of, of having a lot of data is if you're kind of like a, let's say you're an equity investor, or you're an ETF investor, and you don't care about macro, or maybe you do care, but you sort of don't know what instruments are out there or how to put them together. What we did is we created these cross-asset dashboards where we took all our data and then we organized them based on different asset classes so that Uh if you're not following currencies, but you want to say, hey, I wonder which currencies are outperforming year to day just to kind of see the trends. We have a currency dashboard that you could just sort performance, sort of sort of see out there and be like, wow, I didn't realize the Brazilian real is down 40% this year. What is going on there? Oh, wow, there's a political upheaval going on. So this kind of concept of browsing different data sets is really interesting. And, and I think for investors, it's really important because everything's connected today. And I'm glad you went there because I, I would say that what you've also done pretty much to sum that up, that point up is that it's the consumerization of enterprise level knowledge distilled into something that is easy to digest for the consumer. So perfect example here is I will, in your markets section, you have a factor analysis breakdown, right? Like you, that's not, factor analysis is not something the average consumer investor would normally talk about, right? They, if at anything, they'll probably talk about dividend payers because that's like, you know, the opiate of the masses when it comes to investing. But how does that contrast to small cap value like a DFA play? How does that contrast to momentum or growth? Those sorts of things that, you know, the reasons people are buying into certain companies are just things that, again, the academic literature has proven are just, can be, you can lump in categories into uh, companies in certain categories that are factors. And that's sort of, I think what you've done here is you created a very compelling way to kind of discover what you didn't know about how markets work. You know, you had to, you got all the sector breakdowns, the country breakdowns, and you get into, you get into stuff like even fixed income factors, where we hear about equity factors, we don't hear a ton about fixed income ones, right? So you're helping, the way you've designed it is almost one that's semi-educational, right? Like you can, you can drill down and learn what you didn't know about the market over time. Yeah, yeah. So that's a great point on, on kind of all these different analyses we have. And I think one of the things, if I had to criticize what uh, we've been lacking, is really an educational component to our platform. And the reason is because we've been just changing it and, and uh, building it so quickly. We just haven't had the time to put together this onboarding and educational component. But all those kind of dashboards are 
things that I have looked at in my career. And the factor one is particularly interesting because you have a portfolio of stocks or portfolio of ETFs or whatever, and it'll move or it'll be down or up. And you have no idea why there's nothing going on. And a lot of times it will relate to that factor rotation that's going on. Yep. And it doesn't have to be fundamental. It doesn't have to be anything macro. It'll just happen because there is a factor rotation going on. So it's just very important for investors to track these sort of themes and just to understand what are they exposed to if they're exposed to something and do they want to have that exposure? I'll tell you, the, the educational piece will be interesting, but I think you also have a monumental task on your, on your hands there because the more I play with your functionality, the more I find stuff I didn't know existed there. And the more like, del- delightfully, delightfully surprised I am, like I just ignored the estimates button for a while and finally clicked on I'm like, oh, wait, you're aggregating the recommendations of analysts into buy, strong buy, buy and everything else and charting that out. That's fantastic, right? Like I'm literally now, I used to go to you know one of several different places to try to get these kinds of pieces of information and give it you know, a dashboard. Uh, needless to say, you know, the fanboy um, aspect of my conversation is definitely coming across here. I love it. Keep going. No, I mean, even, and oh, there we go. I, I just found your go to Edgar button. I didn't realize you had integrated a button that basically takes me to uh, regulatory filings. <laughs> well done, man. It's, yeah, so I think, yeah, so I would say whoever you hire to do your, to your education piece, oh boy, they got a lot of uh, explaining to do. <laughs> a lot of stuff for sure. Oh yeah, no, no. So when you started out on this journey, basically, you know, you start off with your, with your mindset as to what you're going to do. What were the things that went differently that kind of surprised you, right? You, you sought out to put this all together in an easy, friendly user way. Was there like a key fundamental decision on design or direction that you ended up saying, oh my God, I can't believe we're so so wrong about that? Yeah, so, so a couple of things. So one is that we've iterated a lot on our product and I always have kind of like a future vision of what our product will look like, but we've had kind of from the first iteration to the second, to the third, to the fourth, looking back at our first iteration, it's, it's sort of kind of laughable. It's, it's like when you see Amazon's website in 1998 and you're like, how did people use this? I feel the same way about kind of version one of Koifin because hey. we just kind of said, hey, you here's should be the ashamed of your first version, as Reed Hoffman says. I'm ashamed now, but at the time I wasn't ashamed. So one is just kind of like design is all about innovation. And I was lucky enough to bring a co-founder on a year after I started, uh, Rich Miedo. And he basically taught himself how to, how to design and how to code. And so he's doing all our design now. Um, and I have, an, I have an input and I, we work together on defining what the path or the ultimate outcome should be and how it should look. But he's the one that's designing everything. And so he's done a fabulous job. And so very happy about that. The other thing is when I was starting out, I had no experience in terms of hardcore coding or, or mm-hmm. developing a startup or engineering. And I made every single mistake. And, and so for me, it was just like, hey, let's just go out and find a bunch of coders to do this. And so I literally was going out to these like coding academies and trying to recruit students and being like, hey, guys, you want to code on a startup with me? And it's like asking a freshman in finance to like start a hedge fund with you because it, there's just so much knowledge that senior engineers and developers have that takes just a long time. And it's a very complicated process to build all this stuff, to think about how all the pieces work together. So that's something I had to learn through through trial and error and then uh, the Finding good engineers and finding good developers who understand how to build a product is just is is just the utmost importance of what we're doing. Yeah, uh, you, you don't know what you don't know, and the the, the youth of hubris is uh, is often going to get in the way. And as for looking back at your first product and being ashamed, I mean, it's I like to say it's it's the equivalent of looking into your high school yearbook at your first year, and and uh, either your haircut or your um, or your complexion or your wardrobe is going to make you cringe. But uh, <laughs> you're not going to be like, oh yeah, I had it figured out back then. <laughs> 
what I, what I wouldn't give for, for a haircut right now, even the one that I had in high school. <laughs> you and me both as I'm sporting, you know, we're both sporting beards. I'm not sure if that's conventional for you or not, but it's not for me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so basically, uh, let's talk also about user experience. So I'm sure you're, you're servicing several markets right now. Let's talk about the consumers. Let's talk about the advisor or RA market as well. And then the markets you want to talk about, tell me how their feedback has been similar and different and what they've liked and disliked about what's, what's happened this far. Yeah. So because our product is completely free right now, we have all sorts of people using it. What surprised me is that the number of consumers or the number of non-professionals using our product and really trying to understand and, and learn what's going on. And I think it all, it all kind of dovetails into the trend today, whereas everyone wants to do stuff themselves. It's the DIY mindset in terms of you have a rash on your arm, you Google it. You have a, a, a legal document, you'll try and figure it out by, by Googling it and stuff like that. We're researching it. And I think today, even though you have this massive trend of obviously indexing uh, and passive investing, people are always going to want to research, even if it's ETFs or, or a portion of their investments in terms of stocks. And we're seeing a lot of, we're seeing a lot of consumers and a lot of students on our platform, which is which is really interesting. Well, they do have the, well, the students have the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> the students and the consumers now have the time. Is yeah, and the, this and is the, true. So, uh, a lot of time. So, in terms of RIAs and um, financial advisors, they're really using our platform for mutual funds, ETFs, creating watch lists in the in the My Dashboards feature. As you know, or as I've learned, financial advisors. There's just so many different types of financial advisors. So we have financial advisors that are picking stocks and using our platform to pick stocks. Others are just interested in performance and asset allocation. So they're really uh, using our normalized performance graphing for for mutual funds and ETFs and other asset classes. So it's a, it's a wide range of usage depending on the uh, focus of, of the financial advisors or, or of the consumers. Our most used feature is a, is a feature called My Dashboards, and that's where you create a watch list of stocks or other securities. You basically select the columns that you want to display, whether it's valuation or performance or whatever columns, and you can track that list, and you can then customize the, the graph and, and how to view and analyze uh, all those dashboards. So that's, that's our, our number one feature. Our second most popular features are the ones that are involved in the stock analysis. So kind of the financial analysis, the estimates, all, all that other stuff. So it's really the, the people who are researching stocks is our second most used feature. But those are kind of the big ones and we'll be focused on innovation and, and uh, enhancing those features in the next couple of months. Excellent. So what are the most requested features that you are currently working on and hoping to launch shortly? Yeah. So one of the challenges we have is that we have everyone wants something. And we have, and uh, no one's paying. That's the real truth. <laughs> if they were enterprise and paying, they could dictate whatever they wanted. But everybody right. wants something, and no one's paying. That's right. So for us, it's an interesting dilemma in terms of like when no one's paying, how do you pick what to build? So the way we think about it is really kind of who are the users that are likely pay for a product in the future, and what do they want? And the second thing is what are we building that doesn't really exist in other places or is very expensive? And so those are some of the things that we focused on. So I'll give you an example of something that we're not working on, which I think is is a shame, but I want to we just can't prioritize it. Is technical analysis. So. A lot of people come to our site and they're like, you're missing all these technical indicators and I have all the cryptocurrencies on TradingView and you don't have any of those. <laughs> and my, yeah. my pushback is like, I think TradingView is great for technical analysis. You should continue to use it for technical analysis. And there's a lot of good technical analysis platforms out there. And even though we want to beef up our technical analysis in the future, that's just not some, there's a lot of other platforms that do it very well right now. And so for us, we've really focused on the cross-asset stuff, which is ETFs, mutual funds, some of the macro data, and on the financial uh, financial analysis 
with the stock analysis as well. We have a new version of Coifin coming out. I'm not sure when this podcast is going to air, but uh, the new version of Coifin is going to be out sort of in uh, June, July timeframe. And in that, in that new version, we're really going to improve our My Dashboard functionality where you'll be able to really customize your dashboard with different windows, different tables, different charts. Um, mm-hmm. it'll, be, it'll be very, very cool. And then we're also going to expand our global stock coverage or expand our stock coverage from US and Canada to global. So we'll cover every, every single market. Portfolios and Canadian mutual funds. That's what I'm, miss, that's what I'm missing from you. <laughs> yep. and, and so in this kind of like new My Dashboards feature, we will have the ability to create portfolios. So you'll, you'll be able to kind of input prices and, and weights. But after that, after we release and, and sort of clean up this this new version, we do we're going to focus on model portfolios because that's that's a, a huge request from our FA community, mm-hmm. and so we're definitely going to do that and create it and build it in the spirit of kind of the friendly and useful UI that we have. So before we wrap up, there's three questions I ask everybody just to make you think. First one is if you had one wish for something you could change in your company, your product, your or the industry as a whole, what would it be? The one thing that I would change in the industry is I would somehow cap the prices that data providers charge us for data. So like yeah. the exchanges and some of the other things, because these businesses are monopolies. So if you look mm-hmm. at the stock price of some of these exchanges like ICE and NASDAQ and a bunch of others, they go up every year because they just have ultimate pricing power. There is no alternative. And so yep. for us, that's uh, that becomes a little bit of an issue when we have to pay those prices and pass on those prices to the consumer. But that's probably the one thing that I would uh, would change about the industry. Although I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Yeah. You, you know, you guys in the States aren't exactly known for uh, legally mandated price caps. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's more of a European thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, might get but, lucky. you know, if, if Bernie Sanders, if he makes uh, price caps on exchange fees, part of his platform, I'm, I'm definitely voting for him. <laughs> Somehow, I can't think that's going to be the first thing he gets up there and yells and waves his hand. Oh, I'm going to cap prices right after healthcare for all. <laughs> so second question for you is what's been the biggest challenge in getting the platform to where it is today? The biggest challenge in getting the platform to where it is today is I think because we're creating a web-based product that traditionally sits on the desktop and takes like three gigs of memory from your computer we've really kind of had to think about and re-engineer how our backend, our servers, our databases talk to the browser. And so that's that's probably been the biggest challenge, which we're constantly solving. And then the the other thing is really the prioritizing and, and making sure we're prioritizing our product roadmap to filter out the stuff that isn't going to be high impact. Fair enough. It's, uh, it's a common concern amongst people in charge of development is where do you spend those developer cycles? Uh, because frankly, it can either have massive impact or no impact at all. And sometimes you just don't know until you do it. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And the last question I have for you is what excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you, uh, keeps you fighting a good fight to keep building this thing, even in the darkest of days? So I'm, I'm just super excited about our product and the, the trajectory we're on. Because we're an internet-based product, the internet is an interesting place, uh, good and bad, and has a lot of different people. And what I love is interacting with our users. Uh, so when users email us or the help desk and you'll have kind of rude people, but there's just a lot of genuine heartfelt emails that come through in terms of, wow, thank you so much for creating this. I really appreciate you offering this. I had an email conversation with a, a Syrian refugee living in Sweden who's just learning how to uh, pick stocks and investing. And so I was talking to him about our platform and, and what he can learn and stuff like that. So I love talking to our users 
we're in the finance field. So I want to say that we're changing the world for the better. Like we're not you know, solving cancer or anything like that, unfortunately, but we are helping people become smarter about investments and, and having access to the tools to be able to drive, not blind and, and open their eyes and really get a sense of what's going on in the market and have the, um, the data and the tools to really understand uh, what's going on. Well, Rob, thank you very much for this uh, interview. And thank you also for building this because like I said, you become like my go-to tool and I'm very excited to see where it continues to go. And as soon as that paid subscription comes up, you got, uh, you got one buyer right here. That's for sure. Cool. Awesome, Jason. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks so much. So that was my interview with Rob Koifman of Koifman. I hope you enjoyed that and I hope you take the time to check it out. It is free for now. Well, it will be free and there will be a paid version later. But as I said, it's definitely worth checking out. And with that, as always, I'm Jason Pereira, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is you get your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.